DiscerningHearts.com presents Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. Dr. Lillis is an associate professor and the academic dean of St. John's Seminary in Camarillo, California, as well as the academic advisor for the St. Juan Diego House of Priestly Formation for the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. Through the years, clergy, seminarians, religious, and lay faithful have benefited from his lectures and retreat conferences on the Carmelite Doctors of the Church and the writings of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. He is the author of Hidden Mountain's Secret Garden, A Theological Contemplation of Prayer, as well as numerous other books focused on the spiritual life. In this series of Conversations with Dr. Lillis, we focus on Doctor of the Church, St. Teresa of Avila, and her great spiritual masterwork, The Interior Castle. Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We continue our conversation now, discussing the Fourth Mansion, Chapter 2, of St. Teresa of Avila's Interior Castle. You know, Anthony, I, I want to pose this next question with all reverence and due respect for everyone out there, because I think those who love the Lord and desire that friendship yearn for what you've just spoken of. For some who are out there that may be confused because they've heard some who will have encouraged them to literally ask the Father to give you the gifts. Give me, Father, the gifts of the Spirit. I want these things. Pour it into me. That in itself is confusing, at least for me, because how can you be detached and want only whatever he wants for you, as I think Teresa is telling us, as opposed to the, I want and give to me. Maybe it's just the verbiage we have in our particular culture that it makes it difficult to delineate between the two dispositions of heart. Yeah, I think sometimes people cry out for the gifts of God because they're training their hearts. Their hearts have been inclined to cry out for and to covet natural gifts or worldly gifts. And all of a sudden, now they've discovered that they were trying to find safety and security of fulfillment in things that could never give it. And they realize only God can give them what their hearts really desire. And so they call out to God's forgiveness. And in fact, if we do not ask for the gift of salvation, we'll never be saved. Right. And so there is a proper place for prayer and to beg God to give us anything that is necessary for our salvation. We should, uh, on our knees and with tears, beg God to lavish those things on us. Similarly, there are gifts that we need, not so much for our own salvation, but for the building up of the church, For especially according to the responsibilities that God has given us. We have a tendency of being self-reliant. We have a tendency of thinking that we can save the world. And God, oftentimes, when you begin to follow him, he will draw you into places where all of a sudden you see all your weaknesses and your inadequacies and everything you seem to do uh, falls down to failure all around you. And the reason why God brings you to that place is so that you'll call out to him and ask him to perform the work around you. Uh, ask him for the gifts that are needed to address the situation. And, and so we call those gifts that are needed to build up the church. Those are the charismatic gifts 
uh, and they can be the dramatic ones like prophecy, but oftentimes they're very subtle ones, uh, gifts of encouragement and gifts of courage, gifts of, of words of wisdom that a parent might need to speak to a child, for example. Mm-hmm. It's okay to beg God for those gifts when we, we need them because we're doing so for the sake of love, and we can count on the Lord of love giving us the gifts that we need to love and just the way he wants us to love. But here, we're not dealing with a gift that's really for the building up the body, at least not directly. Here, when we talk about spiritual consolation, we're not dealing even with something that's necessary for salvation. It's quite sanctifying and salvific for the soul that receives it, but it would be possible for somebody to go through their whole Christian life and not experience this spiritual consolation on this side of eternity. I think there's a certain percentage of souls that where that in fact is the case. They don't get to receive graces that many of us need just to keep going. The Lord, for whatever reason, holds back and gives them something else, perhaps even more wonderful, gifts that Teresa of Avila, as she says, she barely even scratched the surface of the spiritual life. She's so much in wonder over this little that she does see that she realizes there's so much more. Well, some souls are given these so much more things, and it looks like they've received nothing at all, nothing at least that can be described in terms of what Teresa of Avila is describing as a spiritual consolation. So this is possible. So it's okay to desire it, but it's not the kind of thing that you would ever demand from the Lord. It would ruin the very nature of its giftedness. It's not the kind of thing that we think we should ever deserve because it's freely given from him. True, it flows as a normal grace from baptism, but it's a normal grace that freely flows from baptism, that comes when we need it and the way we need it at God's own election and choosing. So this quiet joy, this joy that brims over in our hearts and, she says, enlarges our hearts, this is a tremendous gift. To have your heart large means your capacity for love has been expanded. And I think normally God wants to expand our capacity for love. He wants to brim us to brim over with his joy, his hidden joy. But when we grasp that, when we demand it from God, when we think that we deserve it because of all the effort we put into prayer, it's a little bit like Christmas morning and the little boy walks downstairs, demands to know where his bicycle is. I want a bicycle for Christmas. And, you know, the poor parents had something else better for him and more wonderful. But whatever that better thing, the more wonderful thing, tickets to Disneyland, I suppose, whatever the more wonderful thing is, he can't appreciate the gift that he's being given because he's demanding something else. Well, when you demand something, it's not a gift anymore. Something like this is so beautiful that in exchange of hearts, this isn't something that you ever demand from a friend. You wait for your friend to give it to you. Uh, and that's why to receive this gift, Teresa of Avila is going to counsel humility, humility, humility. She will say that, even address that question that we all have, how shall we receive them if we do not try to gain them? And then she answers, there's no surer way than what I have told you. And then she goes on to give those reasons. And if you put these five points 
as we are long to do here in our particular culture, up on your refrigerator and just put that as a sticky note, that would be a rich, rich spiritual practice, wouldn't it? Yes. The first reason why only humility can attain this gift, she says, is that with humility, you love God without self-interest. Loving God without self-interest, this helps you be open to the gift. When you love God with self-interest, there are things that he really wants to give give you, but your disposition before him is so selfish, he can't give them to you without you harming yourself, without you increasing your selfishness. So he withholds. So you want to you want to get a gift like this? Love him with self in, with without self interest. Um, yes, I've heard it summed up in a way that you love, give, and don't expect anything. And how do we know how to love God? Well, we love God with our whole heart, our whole mind, our whole soul, and then we love our neighbor. Mm. And if you love, give, and expect nothing, that means if you're expecting to get something back from your neighbor or to get back from God. Well, that's a problem. Or on the flip side of that, if I'm going to give, but I'm going to get clobbered by my neighbor if I give, or I'm, or God's going to clobber me, that's a problem. But if you can love, give, and don't expect anything, could that be what she's speaking about with without self-interest? Yes, I think that's pretty well put. We live in a very commercialized world where uh, so many of our relationships, sometimes even our friendships get commercialized. Mm. You know, uh, people get into, you know, selling products to their friends and family. You kind of, I don't know, something in you kind of feels horrible when they come over for with the latest thing they want to sell you because you would just rather enjoy their presence. But you feel like something, something's gotten in there that's calculated. They're trying to personally benefit from this friendship. And so you, you don't enjoy their presence as much. The things that could be exchanged are ruined because that friendship's been commercialized. It's mm. been reduced to a means to an end. And so here too, this very humility, 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 humility means don't treat God like a means to an end. You love him without self-interest. Don't be calculating when you come into his presence. Don't be scheming what you can obtain from him. Instead, be simple. And this sounds uh, so um, trite to say, but God has a beautiful heart. It's tremendous. And when he comes to give it to you, it should evoke utter awe. And stillness requires that we be drawn with a kind of compassion for his love. He, St. Claude de Colombier, he said, he loves, but he is not loved. Mm. He loves, but he is not loved. To enter before that mystery, to have that mystery being offered to you, all scheming and calculation and taking advantage of and commercializing our relationship with God is wholly inappropriate. There is no way that you can receive what God wants to give you as long as you love him with so much self-interest. That leads right into the second aspect where she says that, uh, essentially, I'm going to paraphrase it, but I'm going to do all these things for you, God, and I, what am I going to get back? What kind of reward? So, I mean, that can look like somebody who, on the outside, I'm doing the Bible study for my parish, I'm doing 
this thing from my neighbor. I'm doing all these different things and I'm expecting a reward. Or on the flip side of that, I'm doing all these spiritual exercises. Okay, where's the reward? I'm waiting for it. It's the disposition of heart, isn't it? Again, we're going back to the disposition of the heart. Yeah. The point is that we shouldn't do spiritual exercises or we shouldn't do good works. We, We should be compelled to do beautiful things for God because of how how beautiful his love is should flow from us is, you know, that we wouldn't have it any other way than making all kinds of sacrifices for him and spending ourselves with every ounce of energy because of the way he's given himself to us. But that's the the trick. He's given himself to us in such a marvelous way. My response is just like a shadow. It's really quite insipid and wretched to tell you the truth no matter what i get called in to do for the lord there's something just so insipid about my efforts to love god back when i see his overwhelming love yeah lord i'll do this for you because it's the best i can do but wow you have overwhelmed me this is magnificent Mm -hmm. well that should be that should be that's what humility is humility um uh by faith believes in the overwhelming love of God and doesn't think it's done anything to earn that, nor could it ever do anything to earn that. It's astounded by how totally, completely unmerited this sheer gift is. And to believe anything else, to believe that somehow if I do X, Y, and Z, or if I pray this many rosaries, or if I'm involved in these kind of activities in the parish, you know, God is going to do something for me because after all he owes me. What she's saying is that there's a lack of humility in that. Mm -hmm. You're thinking a little bit too much of what you're doing for God. God delights in what we do for him, and it's beautiful to him, but it doesn't compel him he wants to lead us into a deeper kind of maturity, and only humility will get us there. You know, humility comes from the word humus, which means earth, soil, dirt. We kind of need to be grounded in the dirt of daily existence, grounded in our weakness and our inadequacies and awareness of how far we fall short before the Lord. Not because we need to beat ourselves up, but so that we realize we really aren't owed all that much. If he loved us the way we loved him, we'd be in really bad shape. Thank God he's loved us much more than that. And he will give me what I need when I need it. For now, I'm just going to try to offer myself in thanksgiving. That's a more humble attitude. We'll return to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. In just a moment. Did you know that you can obtain a free app which contains all your favorite Discerning Hearts programs? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Archbishop George Lucas, Father Mauritius Fildi, and so many more, including episodes from Inside the Pages, can be obtained on the Discerning Hearts free app. This also includes all the novenas and devotionals and prayers, including the Holy Rosary and Stations of the Cross, the Chaplet of St. Michael, and the Seven Sorrows of Our Lady, all available on the Discerning Hearts free app. Visit the iTunes and Google Play app stores to obtain your free Discerning Hearts app today. 
A Prayer of St. Ignatius of Loyola Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all that I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. She touches on just what you said in that third point, that the real preparation for them is to desire to suffer and imitate our Lord rather than to receive consolations. For indeed, we have all offended him, as she says. But that desire to suffer and to imitate our Lord, that, again, I think there's a little caveat you could put on that, Anthony. What type of suffering are we talking about? Sure. I think in order to answer that, we need to overcome a certain kind of presumption about sin in our lives. We tend to think that our personal sin isn't really that big of a problem. That after all, God's kind of a, he's a merciful God. He can overlook these little foibles I have here and there. And, you know, I'm basically a fixer-upper. I have everything kind of pretty much in order. I just need to polish the outside of the car a little bit, maybe, you know, uh, get tuned up a little bit by grace. And But I'm I'm good to go, God, you know. That's the way we think of ourselves. We think about ourselves as needing open-heart surgery. We don't think of ourselves as being imperiled at death's door. We don't realize the meanness and cruelty and aggression we unleash on our brothers and sisters every day, even as we smile at them. And so we've lost a sense of sin. And when you lose a sense of sin, the idea to have a sense of sin isn't to beat yourself up. But the idea is to realize that we realize our sinfulness because only as we realize how much we're forgiven do we begin to glimpse the immensity of God's mercy towards us. It's in the face of his mercy that this idea of suffering and imitating Christ unveils itself in terms of humility. Mercy is love that sees the suffering of another and refuses to let that person suffer alone. It affirms their dignity. It relieves their suffering because it is implicated in their plight. That is mercy, and that is the way God has loved us. He does not allow us to suffer alone. 
all the ways we've compromised ourselves, all our self-contradictions, all the ways that we have betrayed our own integrity. He does not allow us to suffer that alone. He has entered into it with us, and he's done so to rescue our dignity because he would not have it any other way. He has chosen to take our side. Suffering for Christ, imitating Christ, is nothing other than the most feeble effort to respond to him. Another word for this that we have in our tradition is penance. Penance is love that sees how much mercy suffers for its sake and makes the effort to say thank you. And so when we offer up our sufferings, either the suffering of a difficult relationship or the suffering of a a difficult illness, the suffering that comes from profound discouragement over tragedy and disaster, all these hardships that we can offer the Lord, all these sufferings that we offer to Jesus in imitation of him who offered everything to the Father, all of that is a thank you for the immense love that he's lavished us with. That's how suffering and imitation of Christ leads us deeper into this mystery of humility, a humility that makes us vulnerable, this new spiritual consolation that God wants to give us. She really grounds us, even in that fourth reason, when she says his majesty has not promised to give us these favors in the same way he has bound himself to bestow eternal glory on us if we keep his commandments. And I think that's really, really important, isn't it, Anthony, to remember that. She'll say that there are those out there who can be saved without these special graces. She even says that there are people who ask not to receive them. And this echoes or is developed by John of the Cross when the ascent to Mount Carmel and book two of the ascent, he'll talk about Uh, spiritual gifts and being detached from even spiritual gifts that God may want to give us. And the reason why he says that it's best to be detached from them is if you're detached from them, if you're not particularly striving for them, but all you're striving for is the honor and glory of God, and you leave him to be free to give what he wants to give and what he doesn't want to give you, just let him do what he wants to do. Your desire is to humbly follow in his footsteps. When you do that, well, sometimes he gives you spiritual consolations, and they really do help. All the good things that we've talked about that is really true, but we're in a place that we can finally receive them, and we're in a place that when we do receive them, they don't distract us from him. That's one of the reasons why the Lord will hold back and not give this grace is not because he doesn't love us or he's trying to punish us or he's forgotten about us. One of the reasons why he doesn't give them to us is that these gifts are so beautiful. Once you receive them, you can get so caught up in them, you forget about him. And that's one of the reasons why there are saints who've asked God not to give them these kinds of graces. They would prefer not to have this. This is why John of the Cross prefers the night. Uh, He talks about that place where you don't understand what's going on and you're not aware that you're receiving any gifts. You're not aware of anything at all. You just are aware that you want to go find him. 
in that night, all kinds of things are lavished upon you. Everything is lavished upon you that you need for union with God, that you need for eternal glory. But it's lavished on you, not because you desire those things, but because you desire him and him alone. And so Teresa of Avila, once, uh, when she's counseling this humility, she's trying to open us up this kind of vast horizon of divine generosity that's going to lavish us with eternal glory and to keep our eyes fixed on that prize rather than trying to attain a mystical state or uh, climb the degrees of prayer so that we can reach the next level of spiritual evolution. This isn't really the Christian way. The Christian way is to renounce ourselves, pick up our cross, and walk in the footsteps of our crucified God. And Teresa of Avila is trying to get us to go right there. In closing on this particular chapter, Anthony, in that fifth point, and I'm going to poorly, I'm sure, sum it up, but it's essentially detach. Just detach yourselves and allow him to love you and treat you as the individual child that you are of his. And he knows best. Is that fair to say? Yes. This last line, if we are really humble and annihilate ourselves, not only in our imagination, which often deceives us, but if we truly detach ourselves from all things, our Lord will not only grant us these favors, but many others that we do not know even how to desire. When we annihilate ourselves, that's a powerful thing to say. And what she's talking about is to renounce every desire that is not God's will. To renounce everything in us that desires anything other than the will of God. That's what this annihilation is. We renounce, we work against, we deny all other desires to make space for this one desire to please him. When that grows in us, God can lavish us with gifts untold, gifts that have hardly ever been yet described in any spiritual literature. But as long as our hearts are torn by this desire and that desire, as long as we're dissipated on other things, uh, trying to prove ourselves spiritually, trying to prove to others how prayerful we are, as long as those things are haunting us in the back, we're not annihilated. We're not completely free of desires other than the desire to love God. And that lack of freedom prevents God from freely giving us the things, those gifts he yearns to give. And the greatest gift of all that only a desire for him can attain is he wants to give himself. All these other gifts are just preparations for that. Final thought. Well, this is one of my favorite mansions to talk about because I believe a great many Catholics actually get called up into this threshold of mystical prayer and that it's actually behind a lot of things that people are trying out today, whether it's centering prayer, mindfulness, or different things like that. They want a deeper encounter with the Lord. They want their hearts enlarged by love. They want to know the joy of the Lord in their lives. What Teresa of Avila is saying is that it's not a technique that avails you of this gift. It's not improved spiritual exercises 
or your own spiritual industry or the product of social sciences or psychological sciences that will allow us to grasp this kind of joy. This joy is given to the humble, to the anawim, to the weak and the rejected of this world, to the persecuted, to those who've entered into the logic of the Lord's Beatitudes. If we really desire the joy of the Lord, humbling ourselves is the sure pathway to attain that. All the other marketed spiritual ideas can be a terrible distraction and even become a block from the, the beautiful things that God wants to give you. Because when you are involved in the next spiritual technology, whatever it might be, there's a way as you master that, that you get a little bit puffed up. And it's that pride that's going to block this joy. Renounce the pride. Follow the pathway of humility. And in that, in that pathway, he will lavish you with gifts so beautiful but you must trust him. Amen. Dr. Lillis, thank you so much. Thank you. It's good to be with you. I'm looking forward to our next conversation. You've been listening to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. There, too, you will find an audio version of The Interior Castle by St. Teresa of Avila, the masterwork in which this series has been based. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lewis.